Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him my friends and welcome to the run run live podcast episode 4-401 it's nice to be back in the saddle from the holidays i feel like i've had a good couple months you know i took an extra week on my cadence for this podcast because it was the holidays and frankly i had a lot going on i know everybody did plus i was sick i got whatever cold is going around, not the flu, not pneumonia, not a bad cold, just a cough that hung around for the better part of two weeks. And I managed to hold the line on my diet through the holidays. I didn't lose a bunch of weight, but I did eat relatively cleanly and avoided most of the sweets and the adult beverages of the season. And this was my plan, so well done me! And this puts me in a healthy spot to hit my Boston Marathon training, hit it hard, and maybe lose another 10, 15 pounds, because I think that's what I'm going to need to have a shot at requalifying this year. And people think, hey, Boston, that's in the spring. you got plenty of time. But that's not really true. When you turn the corner to the new year on January 1st, you are only three and a half months away, which in broad strokes means 14 weeks. And a typical hard training cycle for me is 12 weeks with a two-week taper. So it's game on. And I'm not starting from scratch. I'm healthy and I'm mentally enthusiastic. I'm sure the dark times will come, but as of now, I'm in a good spot. And today we chat with Matt, who is a teammate of mine. He's got a great story, and it's a timely story as we ease into resolution season. Listen to what it took for Matt to find that tipping point, to find that courage, to switch that momentum and begin his transformation. And in section one, I'll give you the wrap-up on the Groton Marathon, which, against all odds, we managed to pull off successfully last Sunday. And thinking about it, if I include those miles in my week, I'm over 50 for the week. And that's the first week of my training. feel pretty good about that. In Section 2, I will perambulate around and about goals and stuff because, hey, it's that time of year. And you know, when I was out running the Groton Marathon with my buddies, I always like to bring a couple topics along with me, you know, because you got a lot of time out there on the road. You want to talk. 
So I had two topics in my back pocket to discuss. And the first one, the first was the ending of the movie Roadhouse. And the second one was the Boston Marathon of Sex. Now, this being a family-friendly show, I'll reserve the latter explanation for my members feed, and I am writing that up as we speak. I crack myself up, the Boston Marathon of Sex. But I was watching, or probably more appropriately being forced to watch the movie Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, may he rest in peace. And like so many of the movies from that era, the ending didn't make any sense to me. So he rips the one bad guy's throat out at the end, right? And then he goes after the big bad guy, kills four of his henchmen. Henchmen? Henchmen. Kills four of his henchmen. And then he has the final fight with the big bad guy. And in the end, he decides not to rip that guy's throat out. But the friendly villagers show up and kill the bad guy with shotguns. Now, shortly after that, we're talking 30 seconds after that, the police show up. And now we have been told that the police are in the back pocket of the bad guy. And the police burst in and they say, what happened? And everyone says, oh, we didn't see anything. And that's it. Cut to the final scene of Swayze skinny dipping with the love interest. So let me get this straight. There's six dead bodies one of which has Patrick Swayze's knife sticking out of his chest. And the police just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I guess since no one saw anything, it's all good. Nothing to see here. I mean, I've seen enough episodes of Law & Order to know they're not getting off that easy. It's okay. I ripped his throat out in self-defense. What's going on here? Plus, they shot this old guy, the bad guy. They shot him with shotguns, with old shotguns. He probably wouldn't even be dead yet when the police came in. And if it was birdshot, he'd just be a little bit uncomfortable. So maybe, I don't know, would, would he have a heart attack from the shock? But if you think about all the movies you've seen, especially from that era, where in the end there's this giant pile of dead guys, and it's just okay. Everybody walks away. So there you go. That'll give you something to talk about in your next long run. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The Garotten Marathon, 2018. You know, it always seems like a great idea in the fall when it's a couple months away. And then, as the last Sunday in December approaches, I wonder, what the hell have I gotten myself into? But despite my reservations and the usual line of uh, calamities, the Groton Marathon went off without a hitch. We actually had a record year. So a little bit of backstory for those of you who haven't been with me forever. Uh, maybe you got a new, new iPod for uh, Christmas and now you're listening to some, some podcasts. So the backstory here is, uh, you know, how did I get myself into this predicament of having to organize an entirely made-up marathon on the last Sunday of December for the sixth year in a row? Well, you know me. Sherman set the Wayback Machine for 2013. Oh, crap. Now I have to explain another old guy popular cultural reference that no one gets anymore. Okay, there was a cartoon show called The Adventures of Rocky and Bowwinkle 
in the 1960s, which was very much in repeat syndication when I was growing up in the 1970s. So Rocky was an anthropomorphic flying squirrel, and Bullwinkle, well, he was a moose, and they had adventures. And they also had other cartoon shorts as part of the show format, a cartoon within a cartoon sort of thing. One of the cartoon short segments in the show was called Peabody's Improbable History, where Mr. Peabody, who is a smart professor-type dog, invents a time machine to teach history to his dense ward, who is a boy named Sherman. Now, interestingly, Wayback is spelled, in all capital letters, W-A-B-A-C, and it's a, it's a joke. It's a riff on the supercomputers of the time, like ENIAC and UNIVAC but obviously also a double entendre on way back like a time machine, see? And before they would head back in time, Mr. Peabody would say, Sherman, set the way back. So now that I have wasted a perfectly good three minutes of your life, let's get back to the origin story of the Groton Marathon. In 2013, we had some negative events at the Boston Marathon that deeply and personally impacted me. And I don't know why, but like Forrest Gump, I just had to run. I started running a marathon a month, and before I knew it, I was six months in. I had a December marathon scheduled somewhere in Indiana. They got a snowstorm and canceled the race. Now, midwinter is a wasteland for official marathons. There just aren't any around. As Dave McGilvery says... My game, my rules. So I made up my own marathon. Perhaps a half dozen people started out with us that day, and two of us finished. It seemed to be a dumb enough idea to have some momentum, so I spun up a website to make it official. It became a renegade event sponsored by my running club. And the rules are basically the same as a Mojo Loco rules. Run as fast as you want. Run as slow as you want, run as far as you want, run as little as you want, and have fun. I'm running a marathon. If you want to join me, great. The entry fee is zero. There are homemade medals, which are cheap Christmas ornaments with Groton Marathon written on them with a Sharpie. There are simple aid stations, and we have a couple volunteers to pick you up if things get grim. But you're basically running on the open roads with me and any of my buddies who choose to show up. It's not a race, it's a run. Now, as pointless as this sounds, there's a certain element in our community and among my running friends to whom this appeals. These are people who would rather spend four hours swapping stories with me than fly off to some overpriced big city race. 2018 was a good year. This year, we had a very good year. We got the most people starting and finishing the Groton Marathon than any other year. We had 10 starters. Brian, my running buddy, he peeled off at 16. And one runner jumped in the car at mile 23. Eight of us finished. We had a smattering of people run the half marathon and the 10K as well. And usually this is just other members of my club. But this year I had some out-of-towners come and join. So I'm going to have to get 
a race director for the half marathon so people don't get lost on the unmarked course. I have talked to people at the Marathon Maniacs and the 50 States Club, and they were highly suspicious of my intentions. I wanted to offer it up as an alternative for people looking for a midwinter race in New England, like I was originally. And their requirements seemed to be minimal. Unofficial website, check. Unofficial record of finish times, check. I set up a clock. They were not enthusiastic, but told me that if I could get more than 10 starters, they might allow it in their record. So based on 2018, I'm getting close. Now, this will never be a Boston qualifier because that would mean course certification. This is a map eyeballed and GPS measured course. It might be a little short, might be a little long. I go by my Garmin. My Garmin says I ran a marathon. No one has complained. If your Garmin says something different, go run some more. This year was extra special because we had two first times. We had our first visually impaired runner, Eric, Eric Manzer, who is an old friend of mine, and I've interviewed him twice on my podcast, and I was glad to see him and run with him. Second, we had our first female finisher, Julia, join from our club, and she toughed it out. Hooray! These are very positive things. So it was in the mid-twenties, sunny and wind-free when we started Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and that is fantastic weather for this time of year. Last year, it was zero degrees with a stiff headwind. It was brutal. Mid-twenties and sunny, good. It's cold, but not so cold as to be uncomfortable or to have all your stuff freeze solid. Now, I am a fairly lazy race director. I make sure the website is updated. I swing by the store and pick up a couple gallons of water, some Gatorade, maybe some gummy bears for the aid stations. And in the weeks leading up to the race, I find out where the club race clock is and I secure it. And I wheedle a couple of adult volunteers to move the aid stations around and sweep the stragglers. I don't mark the course. I don't even drive the course. I just make sure the maps are right and print up a couple copies to hand out. I steal some ornaments from my wife and have Teresa write on them. And I almost wasn't going to run this year. I have this stress attack every year where, hey, no one really wants to get up on a cold morning and run a made-up marathon. But if I don't show up, there's no event. I was sick the whole week of Christmas. And it was still pretty bad on the Friday, on the weekend before the marathon. So I dropped into the mediclinic on Saturday to make sure that I didn't have pneumonia. The doctor there assured me it was just a bad cold and gave me $100 worth of over-the-counter meds and an ibuterol inhaler to keep me going. Now, did I tell her that I was going to go out in the cold and run a marathon the following morning? Well, as I was leaving, I asked, you know, is it okay for me to still exercise? And she said yes. So in my book, that's a yes. And my lungs weren't super happy with me pumping all that cold, dry air through all day Sunday. So every time we stopped for an aid station, I'd start coughing. And around the halfway point, I mumbled that I wish I had brought the inhaler. And Mark, a local ultra runner who shows up with his son Ethan to run with us, 
magician-like, produces an inhaler without missing a beat. And he says, here, use mine. So I did. And we made a few jokes about performance-enhancing and performance-enabling substances. Now, I did get a bit tired in the last few miles, but hey, it's a marathon. It's a long way to run. We took nice long breaks at the aid stations. We told stories, jokes, had deep discussions about esoteric topics. And I trundled in around four hours and 26 minutes with the leaders a few seconds ahead and some stragglers behind. And somehow each year, hot chocolate with Bailey's Irish cream option has shown up at the finish line. And the cold runners, they appreciate that. We took some pictures, shook hands, and packed up another Groton Marathon. So the lessons and the takeaways. I like to tell people that if you come up with a truly stupid idea, for instance, running an entirely made-up marathon on a December morning, other people will join you. And that is my experience. If you look around the world at all these classic events, they all started with someone's stupid idea. The other thing that I am quite appreciative of is that my running club puts up with me. No one bitches about liability and all the things that can go wrong. They lean in. They have fun with it. We sponsor three other official races throughout the year. We participate in a few relays and race series, and we sponsor a summer track and field for the local kids and parents. A running club is a marvelous thing. But the Groton Marathon, because this is not an official race, I can avoid all the overhead of a race. It is instead a club run, and therefore it is covered by our club insurance policy. I don't have to call the police. I don't have to do anything. It's a club run. They're open public roads. The entry fee is zero, but we do have people fill out a membership form, so they're covered. So there's a message for you. That's my message for you. My suggestion is, you know, feel free to make up something fun and stupid and invite all your friends. And also form a running club because it's easy to do and you can leverage the power of the organization to make it all safe and workable. So here's the point. I told the participants in this year's Groton Marathon in my starting announcement, I want to live in a world where a bunch of people think it's a great idea to wake up on a cold December morning and run a made-up marathon. And now for today's featured interview. Why don't you give us the 200 words or less on who you are and what you do and, and a little bit of why we're talking. See, my name's Matt. I'm 43. I drive truck for a living. I started a weight loss journey back in on June 1st. was the first day. Down 70 pounds. But I progressed from my weight loss journey to signing up for an Ironman and doing triathlon. That's my main focus right now. The weight loss comes with it. I needed something to keep me motivated or accountable because if, let's face it, if I'm not accountable to anything, I'm not going to, I'm not going to succeed in what I'm trying to do. So. Yeah. You and I share a coach. Yep. Jeff Klein. So, I mean, what most people who go through a journey like this, Matt, they try for years and sort of have, you know, they have some successes, they have some failures, but overall in the balance of things, they're kind of losing ground, especially as you get older, right? As you get into your forties, what happened to you in this journey, you know, through life to get you to that point? 
And then, you know, more importantly, what happened on June 1st that swung the balance? The way it kind of creeps up on you is uh, if you're a bigger like I was, and I'm still a big guy, I'm still 200 and actually I think I put on like five pounds over the holidays. But So I'm right, I hover right around 275, 280 right now. I'm still a big guy, but it creeps up on you fast. I settled into it. I, I accepted it. Yeah. With that acceptance, it looked like I was accepting it, but inside I wasn't. I didn't realize I was depressed and angry with myself until after I started losing weight and my body started changing. Earlier today, my wife and I were talking, and she says, uh, you know, I told her, I mean, there's some dark thoughts that, that come along with, with being overweight and depressed, and, and, you know, I never would act upon them. But they're just thoughts in your head. And, I mean, you get thoughts of suicide. I thought just taking a knife and and just cutting off fat. And, I mean, that's just ridiculous to even think that. And it it would be more ridiculous to even do it. I didn't realize I was depressed until afterwards. And my wife told me today, she's like, you were miserable. And whenever I said, why are you so miserable, I would be like, I'm not miserable. And that being miserable was me being depressed. And how right. could I be miserable? I've got a, you know, I've got a beautiful family. I've got a wife. I've got three kids. There's, I had no reason yeah. to be miserable other than I was overweight. I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do, and I had to do something about it. And I, I grew up, I was a wrestler, so I know what ah. sucking weight was, and I know how to lose weight. Yeah, yeah, Matt, I was a wrestler too. So all that means is you know how to lose weight the wrong way. Yes, exactly. June first rolls around. I'm scrolling through Facebook, and ad for a gym, a local gym pops up. And I've been a member of Planet Fitness for the past, I don't know, three years, never use it. But this ad pops up, says, uh, six-week challenge, guaranteed to lose 25 pounds or 6% body fat. So I sent them a message thinking it's just a national ad, and they sent me, the the owner of the gym actually messaged me back. and says, well, when do you want to come meet? I'm like, what the heck? You know, I didn't think. Nothing of it. I thought I was going to get out of this screen yeah. here. I was going to get nothing back. And now all of a sudden I'm permitted to go meet this guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Face so to I, face. I went knee to knee. The, oh, yeah. So I went up to the gym and I met with him. And, you know, it was supposed to be free, which it was, kind of. So I sat down. He went over the program. And I'm like, I got nothing to lose but fat. I've got... I'm sitting here. I can't tie my own shoes, you know? So I said, absolutely. He explained it. He's like, then all of a sudden he's like, well, we need a $500 deposit. And uh, <laughs> this is what got me. I'm like, well, how much kinda does like my a, health work? Kind of like a timeshare though, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, yeah, getting healthy, losing weight is worth $500. But the catch was I get that $500 back if I meet or exceed the program's results. Uh, so three weeks into my program, you know, I wasn't going to lose $500. You know, I don't, I'm a truck driver. My wife's a Head Start teacher. We live all right. We live like everybody else mainly, you know. Sometimes it's paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes it's not. And uh, so I, I'm like, I committed to it. I didn't want to lose that money. So three weeks into this program, I'm already down 30 pounds, 9% body fat. At this point, you know, I was going seven days a week. And I'm just hooked. You know, I was hooked on going to the gym. I'm working out. I'm seeing results. And that six weeks came back, came up, and, you know, I had the interview. And that $500 deposit went towards my gym membership for the year. 
now I'm a member of that gym. I'm a member of Planet Fitness. I'm going to I'm going up there to my to the gym I go to now, and I'm just I'm doing CrossFit classes and boot camps and all kinds of stuff up there, and I'm just seeing results. And it got to the point where uh, the CrossFit and stuff just started hurting my knees. I stopped doing that. I had a I bought a mountain bike. It's it's funny like a year before that I bought a mountain bike and an indoor trainer convinced myself that I'd get on that mountain bike and lose weight on the inside of my house. Cause you know, a lot of it was, I didn't want to be seen outside running or riding a bike. Right. So I'm just, I was right. just, I'm real self-conscious of what I look like. Yeah. So indoor, I could be indoors doing it. And that bike sat, I think I rode that bike for 15 minutes and it sat there collecting dust the rest of the time for over a year. I did the same thing with, I bought my first running sneakers I bought a pair of Hoka's. I spent $200 on Hoka's and insoles. They sat on the uh, inside for well over a year before I even considered using them. Yeah. I think I just started using them like three months ago, four months ago maybe. But yeah. They, uh, so you, you had the seeds of change in you the whole time. You just having yeah. trouble getting traction. Oh, yeah. I but just, you kept the motivation. Kept trying. I, you know, the self-motivation was not a... Uh, was not strong at the, at the beginning. You know, I needed money is a big motivator for anybody. And right. That's what got me started. And yeah. So it has you know. to be that the reward or, you know, it's a risk and reward thing, right? It's got to be that the pain yeah. of losing or the pain of winning is, you know what I'm saying? The pain has to be more than oh, the, yeah. the corresponding pleasure because, you know, as weird as it sounds, when we go to these sort of dark places and do this, this bad stuff, there's some sort of reward for us there, right? We're getting something out of that. Oh. There's some sort of reward in that for us, and and so there has to be a bigger reward to get out of it. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Yeah. Humans are weird. Yeah. So so You're a couple right. of things that a couple of things that help people turn the corner when they're sort of thrashing around like you are. One is community, right? Is finding a bunch of other crazy yeah. people who have the same passions or or addictions, depending on how you want to look at it. And I know the the triathlon community is one of those one of those neurotic communities. Oh, yeah. no. And the other one is getting a coach, right? You can find yeah. the right coach for you that has the right balance of discipline and motivation and that sort of thing. It's you know it can make a world of difference, right? And it can make the difference between thinking about it and doing it. So how did how did that work for you? At my gym, there's a bunch of trainers. I kind of went to one of the trainers and I said to him, I'm like, you might think this was crazy, but I'm really thinking about signing up to do, I'd love to be able to do an Ironman someday. I didn't really know too much about it. I, when I was growing up and stuff, I remember seeing them on TV and thinking they're, uh, these guys are all elite athletes. The normal person just doesn't do this stuff. But then I started watching videos and obviously normal people do this stuff. And so I, I went to him and said, you know, I'm thinking about doing it. And, uh, you know, he's a coach. And he's like, well, I'll help you any way I can, you know. And I'm like, that's awesome, you know. And then I kept, I went back a few times, and he said, uh, you know, you're just not ready for a coach. And I don't know if I'm not ready for a coach meant I'm too too fat and too slow or if I'm not ready yeah. for a coach because he wants me to lose, you know, just stay on the track that I was on doing the CrossFit, doing the classes and losing more weight and then start training for Ironman. But I knew – yeah. Just from being a wrestler and just being growing up, kind of being athletic, that I need to start training 
do an Ironman or do the triathlon. I signed up for a sprint triathlon, my first one. So I needed to do something to train towards that goal. I got on uh, Facebook on the uh, Lake Placid page, requested to join the page and stuff, and I wrote in, you know, somewhat of my story, and I got a bunch of comments on it. And Jeff Klein, he, he commented and says, you know, if you ever need a coach or any advice or I think he might have even messaged me, get in touch. And so I went probably another month just doing the what I've been doing. And finally, I got to the point I asked the trainer up there again. I'm like, well, you're a local guy. I obviously are part of my gym. I'd, I'd hire you as a coach. You know, how much is it? And he's just, and again, I got the, you're not ready for a coach. I got in touch with Coach Jeff and I actually had him call me or he, I called him when I had, had a free free minute and we talked and I told him about, you know, how I'm being told I'm not ready. And we hung up and we talked about the money and stuff. And, you know, like I said, I'm not rich. 30 to 30 minutes to an hour later, he, he sent me a message saying uh, that really pissed him off that a coach told me that. <laughs> and he, uh, he said he's going to coach me for free and he's going to see me in the finish line of Lake Placid. And, uh, <laughs> since then, it's, you know, that's... Yep. I'm laughing because I know Jeff, right? <laughs> yeah. And I can just see how bad that would make him, right? But he's actually got a rant on uh, about it, <laughs> about that. Yeah. So it's, you can watch a video on it if you wanted. But, yeah. But, I mean, the, it's, it's, you know, the coach, it's true. People are, you know, and it doesn't make them bad people. They're just busy people and they're focused, but they tend to, you know, in our sports, especially in triathlon, tend to be very elitist, right? And and they have these sort of cadre of the neurotic people who do it. And, you know, that should, that's fine. They can have that. Just don't let that discourage the other people from joining as well, right? You know, and I don't know if, if it was, he didn't want to coach me. Or if he just wanted to see me get more healthy before he started coaching me, I'm thinking that between Coach Jeff and this guy are completely two different coaches coaching two different ways. You know, to me, I mean, obviously, I think if I wanted a coach and I wanted to hire him as a coach, he should have just said, "Yeah, I'll be your coach." That should have been it, but it wasn't, and I'm I'm actually thankful that uh, it happened that way because otherwise, I wouldn't be on. Team Daily Fit book, and I wouldn't have Coach Jeff as a coach, and yeah, I mean, or at least tell you no. Food, everything, you know, oh yeah, yeah. At I'd least tell you no. Be straight up, up about it, right? Yeah, and people and, people don't realize sort of the power of being honest. That guy should have been honest, no. right? And that's really was what his um, failing was there. Not that he was being disingenuous or anything. It just be honest, right? Yeah. Say it like it is. Don't no. make you guess. So now, I mean, gotta be even big, to this point. Even to this point, I still don't know why he won't coach me, why he wouldn't coach me. I still haven't got an answer. So it's, And I see him all the time. I go to the gym all the time. So it's a little awkward going up there to that gym just for that reason. Because it, the gym is, is like a family. It's, right. I know people there. It's comfortable for me. I'm not going to leave there. I mean, I'm a member of two gyms now. I got a gym membership up there. I got a gym membership with, down in another place with a pool that I can swim at. You know, yep. so I only I need, need one gym membership, but I keep both. So, but it's good for the community, yep. for the encouragement, right? To be yep. part of something. So you'll just have to send him the pictures of when you finish uh, the Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, he'll definitely see them. 
the owner of the gym, I, I like the I like everybody up there. Even that guy, even the trainer up there that said he wouldn't coach me or I wasn't ready. I like him too. He's a good guy. They could come on this journey with me. So I, I promote their gym because let's face it, they're the they're the driving force in me getting healthy. I mean, I had to do it myself, but I wouldn't have done it without their program and their support. Well, I was a member of Planet Fitness, I did nothing. Planet Fitness did absolutely nothing for me. And I went up right. there and they did, they set me up. They held me accountable too, you know, when I was in that six-week program. And it's funny, Coach Jeff, he does not like those programs at all. But I'm here to say that that program did help me a lot. And if it wasn't for that program, I, I don't know if I'd be where I, I am right now. Yeah, it kick-started you. There's got to be a big nutritional component of this for you. I'm guessing you're doing sort of a, a low-carb, healthy, whole-food diet at this point? Yeah, well, it's funny because... uh I send Coach pictures of my food every day, except for like last night. He doesn't want. I told him he didn't want to see what I ate last night. Over the holidays, you know, <laughs> I kind of lack. It is what it is. I'm human. I'm addicted to food. I I absolutely love food, and I love all the wrong food. But yeah, I, I'm I'm able to love all the right food now and be satisfied with eating the right things. So right. I basically eat chicken, pork, and steak and vegetables. That's it. I have yeah. uh, eggs, Ezekiel toast, and avocados, and I eat just about the same thing every day. And that doesn't change much. Yeah, it's, it's got to be boring for him to see the pictures I send him because I put that Tony spice all over everything. And my wife cooks. If it, that's the other thing, my wife she cooks all my food. She supports. If I didn't have her support, I wouldn't be where I'm at either because she does yeah. all all the food. You know, everything. Yeah, that's brilliant. I have to sort of compete with my wife. She'll bring home stuff and uh, that I shouldn't eat and I have to ignore. But, yeah, but it's funny how that it's – one of the things you learn is that it's not really about deprivation. It's not about denying yourself stuff. It's about yeah. moving towards the good stuff that's also good for you, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's lots like of stuff that you can – yeah, me too, right? So I, there's a lot of cabbage cabbage and rice dishes that are great for you, that make you nice and full. I love those. Yep. I don't eat any rice at all. I don't eat bread. I don't eat dairy. I, when somebody asks me, I tell them I'm a vegan who loves meat. Yeah. <laughs> or a vegetarian who loves meat. I just, I'm not going to give up meat. And I have three kids at home that, one, all he eats is chicken nuggets, and it's hard to get him to eat anything. Any of them. My my daughter's better at it, but you know how has this influenced the other parts of your life, right? So a lot of times, what I like about these, you're early in your transformation. To be honest with you, right? That this is early. Yeah, you've yeah. got a long ways to go, and a lot of adventures, and a lot of a lot of things that are you're going to discover, uh, especially yeah. bringing on the Iron Man, right? Taking on the Iron Man. Yeah. But what I like about these things is it tends to create sort of a gravity in your life, which pulls other people in and pulls, you know, it 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 affects your, your work, sometimes negatively, sometimes positively. It affects your relationships, again, sometimes negatively, your family. So how are you navigating those waters? What have you noticed? Well, it's completely changed my life with my family. I mean, you've seen some of my posts. I just posted accomplishments for last year. and. uh I've always loved, I love my family. I love them to death and I've never stopped loving them, but it's hard to love somebody when you don't love yourself. And I did not love myself. And since losing yeah. the weight, 
I fell madly in love with my wife again. It's like a whole new feeling. It's it's hard to describe the way I feel about my family now. It's probably because the depression's gone, so I'm happy, and we can go out and do things. My daughter's a, a swimmer, so she's on her the high school swim team. She'll run 5Ks with me. My wife has always kind of ran. She's not, no races or nothing, but she'll run on a treadmill just to try and stay in shape. I was running with her, but now I'm to the point where I'm running farther and, and faster than her. So now she just stays on the treadmill. And now just, just recently, my, my eight-year-old has been getting on the treadmill and running. It's me getting healthy, put that mindset into my family. I mean, it's been nothing but positive. I have no negative impact at all in my life from getting healthy. So, I mean, my work is, yeah. uh, I drive truck. So I've, I leave at two or three o'clock in the morning. And a lot of times I'll head out to, towards you. I, I'll head out like, like tomorrow morning, I'll leave at two. I got to go out to Massachusetts out towards 91 and down into Connecticut. I'll get home probably three or four. I'll train. Like tomorrow I have a scheduled swim and a 60 minute run. That's going to be hard to get in. I guess it does negative impact me a little because I don't get the time to spend with uh, my kids as much as I'd like sometimes. But, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I'll train for two hours. I'll go home and I'll eat dinner. I'll spend a little time with the kids and then I'll go to bed and go to work again. Like you said, you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of yeah. other people. So the overall benefit is greater. And the, the thing yeah. you'll, you'll get to is, you know, especially when you come out the backside of this Ironman, um, and it's a good thing you have a coach. Because a lot of people, if they don't have a coach, they tend to go so hard initially that they break something, and then they're stuck again, right? Um, and the co- coach... I have, a, I have a, a friend on Facebook that uh, I think is that's what he's... That's the point he's at. He's kind of yeah. stuck and lost motivation. But then I have... There's another yeah. guy on there that... Uh, He's completely training the wrong way. <laughs> I say it's the wrong way because coach has us training his way. And I try to tell him, and I, he doesn't have a coach, and I tell him, and I tell him, you need a coach, and they refuse to take my advice, and I don't claim to be perfect, but it can be quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the biggest benefit I've gotten from working with Jeff over the years is he keeps me from doing stupid stuff, which I would normally yeah. do. And in my mind, it's not stupid. He keeps me from hurting myself, which is good, especially at my yeah. age. But one of the other things you'll get when you get out the back of this uh, Ironman is you'll have this thought where you go, hey, if I could do this, what else can I do? And then it'll start to bleed over into the rest of your world where, where doors will start opening up for you. And that'll be amazing for you. Have you noticed any of that yet, Matt? Well, yeah, I've become an ambassador for F2C Nutrition, which is huge. I mean, awesome. when I first met Coach and he told me he was going to coach me for free, that was, it's almost like being a sponsored athlete. And yeah, I, I basically got sponsored at 310 pounds, you know, and it's it's really yeah. just because he saw that I was motivated enough and, and wanted this bad enough. That's why he's, he, well, be, he's going to coach me, you know. But, it's because you changed your mindset to an abundant, a more abundant mindset. And that allowed those yep. doors to open, and it allowed you to step through those doors, right? So it's, yep. it's all tied oh, yeah. back to that change within you, within your mind, right? So yeah. Well, even so. even this, even your podcast, you know, six, four, five, six months ago, 
I, I wouldn't, you wouldn't want me on this podcast. Yeah, no, we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> no, no. So doors being open is, you know, it's just, and I get messages sometimes from different, different places. I'm like, I'm not in this to get free stuff. I'm not in this for fame or fortune. I mean, let's face it. There's professional triathletes out there that don't make a dime. They, they still work. So there's, there's yep. nothing in this for me, but my health. So I'm in it for me. And I think that's what you, you got to be in it for yourself first. And then comes, well, I'm doing this for my family. You know, so I did it for myself first and then, and now I'm doing it for my family so I can, I can live longer, be with them. And we can all go out and enjoy being outdoors and doing things together. That's, they are my biggest motivator. You know, it's one of my guys that I follow PhD that recently I've been working, not working with, but reading a lot of his stuff. What he says is you have to have a cake, right? Your relationships and your mm-hmm. family are the icing on your cake, but you got to have a cake first. If you make oh, the, those people your cake, then that, that's bad, right? Don't make them your cake. Yeah. They're the icing on your cake. Make your cake first and then they're the icing on the cake, right? So uh, I always, I like that metaphor. All right, Matt, I'm going to move you towards the exit here. It was uh, brilliant talking to you. Plus, you you got to get back to training. I did my uh, ride this morning, so I'm pretty much done for the day. I got some kind of calf strengthening thing left for today, but I'll do that later on tonight. Yeah. All right, man. It was great talking to you. Now, let, let me ask you one last question, which is, you know, if you, if there's somebody who has, Who's, who's, you know, the Matt of six months ago, you know, and they're listening to this, what would you tell them? It's hard because you got to want it. You can't just half-ass it. You got to go into it with a goal and not such a big goal. My goal was to lose 25 pounds and 6% body fat in six weeks. And that's not a hard goal to, to reach. I mean, there's, there's lots of people that can do it. And you got to set yourself a goal and you got to stick to it. And you got to have someone to hold yourself you got to be held accountable. So whether that be a coach, a gym, a friend, a wife, whoever it may be, if you're going to hold yourself accountable, you got to have the willpower to do it. And I don't have the willpower to do it. I don't think very many people have the willpower to do it. But I, you know, I'm always here. If I've got a couple of pages. I've got, I got my normal Facebook page, which you can just, Matt Shore, just look me up, friend request me, send me a message if you want. I don't, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help anybody. And I've got the follow the fat guy to Kona page. Same thing. You don't have to. It's not about me being famous or anything. It's about inspiring each other to live healthy, to get happy. And I've got my Instagram, which is fat guy to try guy. Just hit me up on any one of those and uh, I'll help you any way I can. You don't have to friend request me. You don't have to like my pages or follow me or anything. Just send me a message. I'll do whatever I can. All right, man. Good thought. We'll get all those links, and we'll put them in the notes for people, all right? Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, man. Good work. We're expecting big things from you. Yeah, well, that's one of the things, too. You know, it's a lot of pressure. you got to perform well, so. Right, but there's negative pressure and positive pressure. Yeah, it's definitely positive. It's all positive. Got to keep it positive, right? Thanks for the chat. All right, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Your best self, the one thing, 
So editorial note, this post contains thoughts assembled from many different sources, but most recently I've been rereading a book titled The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. And I, I would encourage you to go check that out. It's linked in the post in the show notes. What is the one thing that you could do that would make everything else easier or unnecessary? This is a focusing question. It attempts to cut through the chaff of life. And there are nuances to it. It is focusing, but before this focusing comes direction. Putting all your focus in the wrong direction is not going to help at all. And before direction comes some sense of a destination. To know where you're going requires a destination. Have you thought about where you want to be? In specific terms, in numbers, in emotions, in living, in love. When do you want to be there? This is your destination. The destination is an aspirational version of yourself projected into the future. A self whose circumstance you can feel and see and smell and touch. The future reality that becomes so real to you that it is not just compelling, it is assumed. It is the de facto self that you are, that are you, you are becoming. This current sub-self state that you're in, this is the unreal version of your life. That future state, that's the real one. And the destination is only manifest if you can align it with your purpose. Or a purpose. Purpose is the shining light that keeps you moving in the dark times. Purpose must be something emotionally compelling and personal. It must be love or pain or destiny-driven. It must be a manifestation of your full potential and the way you fit into the full potential of the world. And when you have your purpose and have divined a destination, then it can be dissected or decomposed into a set of goals. And goals are quantified and time-based. I will be X by Y and Z. Why? Why do you care about becoming the manifestation of your best self? Because once you move beyond self, what is left is service and enablement. Your best self will elevate the world and the people you love. Your best self gives you leverage to change the world. The end game is not the goals or the affirmation of self. Those things are a route towards self-realization. And the irony is that by focusing on and perfecting the best version of yourself, you are doing the very thing that helps others your relationships, your community, and the world. We begin with purpose, then we boil that down into a discrete destination. What will your life be like when you manifest that purpose? What would you have to do today, tomorrow, next year, to get to this state? And there really is no discrete destination, and that's okay. We are going to pick a desired state of affairs and build out the milestones to actualize that. We will make course corrections along the way based on the headwinds and the tailwinds of life, but we need something to plan towards, a stake in the ground on the horizon. This desired state is the best we can do or imagine from where we are. So don't get too hung up on it. 
This destination is supported by a series of milestones. These milestones are the goals and the actions along the road to that purpose and that self-realization. So consider the etymology of the word milestone. This is literally a rock placed by the side of the road to mark progress. Without these milestones, you don't know if you're making progress on your road or in your journey. So, now that you have some big goals along the path to where you want to get to, you can start to back schedule tasks and activities to get there. And we might not think these small activities or tasks could possibly lead to that desired state, but if I have learned anything in training over the years, it is that consistency is the most important element of progress. So here's a mental exercise. Imagine you want to build a stone wall. I've built many stone walls. I get it from my father. But you don't have time to build a wall today. What if you carried one rock every day and placed it into the new wall? Every day you would see progress. After a week or two, you would have a wall taking shape. In a month, you'd have the line of the wall. In six months, you'd have your wall. And all it took was one rock a day. But it took a rock a day, and it took a vision of that wall. This is a simple mental exercise. It describes linear progress. In reality, all the things we do are nonlinear. So at some point in building that wall, you might run into challenges. Something might go wrong. You might have to tear down or restart a section. You might run into a bee's nest. Expect it. When we hit these challenges, it slows our progress, but the challenges also teach us. This is where the perseverance comes in. This is where we discover that we may not have the proper tools for the job and need to go find them. Maybe, God forbid, we need to ask for help. This is where we grow. And this doesn't happen unless you are on the road, taking the journey, building the wall. Sometimes the progress is nonlinear in the other direction. The act of building that wall manifests resources and opportunities that you hadn't thought of. And the wall becomes a castle. It's a funny thing. When you're building this wall, some doors will open. A neighbor will stop by to help or talk. Another may drop off a load of rock or recommend a friend. Who knows? A rich movie star may stop and ask you to build a wall for them. Challenges will come. Doors will open. But only on the road when the journey has begun. And once we have these milestones and the tasks that support them, then, then it, we need to execute. The best plans in the world are worthless without execution. Execution means blocking the time to do these things. Actually putting these tasks in your calendar and protecting them and doing them. And time blocking those tasks takes you to the goals that lead to the desired state. And it sets you up each day to make one critical decision to either make progress on your path or not. It turns your someday into today. It connects the dots. If I do this thing today, I will get to that place I want to be. Likewise, if you don't do that thing today, if you let the urgent overtake the important, you're deciding to give up on your dreams. Each day you make the decision. 
do I do this thing that I know gets me to where I want to be? Or do I do this other urgent or pleasurable thing that gets me nowhere? And that framing sets you up for success. At least success more often than not. Because you will fall down. You will choose the video game and the bottle of wine over your dream of writing the next great American novel sometimes. And when that happens, you call on your perseverance, you forgive yourself, you get up, dust yourself off, keep moving forward time and time again. And in the process, try to learn about your triggers, your weaknesses, and your strengths. And this will require you to be selfish. This will require stretching and stressing of existing and comfortable relationships. But remember, the whole point is that you are creating a version of yourself that is better able to help the world. You are growing into the best version of yourself. And that stretching, that stretching will crack your carapace of comfort and you will molt into many new shells. And some of those shells will not be comfortable. But you will embrace them and learn from them and use the challenges and learning to grow into that best version of yourself. Purpose Destination, goals. They all sound great and worthy, but how do you keep them from being shoved into a drawer on January 15th? And that's the execution. It is selfishly scheduling those tasks that are needed, those tasks that are needed to make it to the next milestone and making sure they get done. That execution is the glue between your thoughts and your better self. The famous saying is that you will overestimate how much you can achieve in a year, and you will grossly underestimate what you can achieve in five years. So start building your stone wall, whatever it is, one rock at a time, one rock at a time. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have kicked off your new year with a thorough listening to of the Run Run Live podcast episode 4-401, so you can check that off your list. Next up for me is a whole lot of training. I'm going deep. I can't control the weather, but I can control whether or not I show up and whether or not I consistently do the work. And I've got a good jump start on this cycle. And I've been working on my core and my stretching daily. I did skip the Hangover Classic this year, which is probably a first for me in the last, I don't know, 15 years. I was still fighting a cold, and I did not think that jumping in the Atlantic Ocean was such a good idea. And I did finally start working on the startup sales book that I'm writing. I pushed the introduction out to LinkedIn. So if anyone is interested in being a proofreader, or a friendly critical eye, I would welcome the help. One of the things I'm trying to do better in the new year is asking for help. <laughs> I tend to want to do everything myself, and that has a built-in ceiling to it. So I was on Facebook today, you know, it's the beginning of January, and I saw that the people in my Facebook community, you know, the the kind of serious athletes, they're starting to complain about all the new people showing up at the gym this week. And, you know, my experience is they tend to go away after 10 days or so. But I've got a couple suggestions for this, for this first of the year gym bottleneck. First, 
you know, if it really bugs you, go early or late. I don't care what time of year it is. You'll have plenty of elbow room at 5 or 6.30 of the morning. So you can always do that. Especially the new people. They tend to not want to show up at 5 a.m. Second, as we heard from uh, Matt today, some of those people, those out-of-breath people, they are going to stick it out and they need help. So let's try to lean in and encourage them. Be that person that could be the tipping point in that other person, that emerging healthy person's life. Be that person and take this as an opportunity to spread that good news and set a good example. And this is a good way for you to practice abundance in the new year. And if you see Patrick Swayze when you're at the gym, run, because he's been dead for about a decade, so the zombie apocalypse will be underway. And I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he left. So hard it made him cry. Sunshine daydream. Here we go. Recording. All right. Let's rock and roll. Rock and rolling stone. On the cover of the Rolling Stone. He died today, or yesterday. The uh, the singer of uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. The guy with the eye patch. So anyhow, where am I? Here we are. Hello, my friends, and welcome 